0: plushcare.com slash weight loss you're listening to text message the UK focused technology podcast with me Nate Langson and me Ian Morris and it's brought to you by you a continued thanks to our patrons supporting us each week at patreon.com slash UK Tech. If you are a Patreon, a patron, this is your extended cut of this week's show. And if you're not yet a patron but would like to get our extended cuts, my weekly columns, head to Patreon.com/UKTech and find out how you can support us. One change there that we've introduced this week, after popular demand, and when I say popular, I don't mean one person, I mean several people, uh, is a new one dollar a week tier. And the reason for this is. That people wanted to give us a dollar, but they didn't want anything for it. And I didn't initially want to give a tier option and give people nothing nothing quote unquote nothing you're getting the show and you're supporting us and it means the world to us um, so the extended cut and everything above that will still remain exactly as it is for two dollars or more but for the people that just want to um, support us financially and be kept in the loop in what we're doing um, via patreon then you can do that now for for a dollar um, a week so whatever that works out about what half a half a pint a month yeah a beer or something to share yeah, I think, something like about, that something yeah. like that, um, that will allow you to support us and, and that would be amazing so thank you for everyone who's been asking about that uh, that is now live and, and you can do that uh, but obviously for the extended versions and our columns and our extra features and our as live recordings which we offer to our, our top tier um, for reasons that this week included about nine minutes of um, <laughs> of
2: utter drivel
0: <laughs> of behind the scenes conversation <laughs> Let's 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 say. Um, then that obviously uh, is is still there. And thank you to everybody. And we'll we'll come to it again a, a little later. Now, let's start with the news because we've got a packed show today. We're going to talk about an awful lot. We've, um, we have we did all of our Mobile World Congress coverage in a special episode that you'll have noticed on your feed already, um, which is sort of 20 minutes, 25 minutes of us talking about our favorite gadgets from the show, our phones. Um, obviously, the size of Mobile World Congress means that there is extra stuff to talk about. One of the things we wanted to talk about was Ford, which is partnering with Vodafone to install 4G modems into its range of upcoming European cars next year. Uh, and this includes the U.K., This means that there'll be a modem and a big antenna baked into the car that'll have 4G. 10 devices, or up to 10 devices, can connect simultaneously via Wi-Fi. And the the additional bonus, if you like, to doing this versus doing it through your phone is a stronger signal, faster connection, simply because the car is a much bigger antenna than the little phone radio in your pocket. There'll also be an app that helps drivers lock and unlock cars remotely, or let's just be honest, did I lock the car? Let me check my app. Uh, Whether that's worth the money or not, I don't know. I feel like Ford's coming to this quite late. Well, they're coming to it later than some. because For example, I've got an Astra, which has uh, built-in Wi-Fi and 4G. Oh, really? Well, the Audi A3 I I looked up was one of the first to, to have this. The announcement of the Audi A3 getting LTE was actually as far back as 2013. And there's also a EE dongle that you can buy, and you it plugs into the the cigarette lighter and broadcasts a signal, but it has a separate connectivity uh, plan attached to it, so you're paying right. twice potentially. But again, possibly a stronger signal there for people in cars who are who are using it. And to be honest, in the I, I looked up uh, Ford's initial announcement for the four G ed- edition, and they did say that it's partly to make journeys easier for parents who have children because essentially they know that the rise of kids with tablets and the rise of streaming put together means kids are going to want to stream stuff on their tablets. Yeah, but practically you're not going to be able to
2: do a great deal of that from a car. I mean, uh, also, in my experience, I don't know how this works. I think the the data plans are relatively limited in the amount you can transfer. They're really designed for sat-nav.
0: For for now, but not if they're pushing into the consumer space for consuming Entertainment, which which really, if you think more broadly about the future of a car, that is the way that it's heading to a certain extent, is that the car will be the entertainment home of the future. I mean, I've always found it quite amusing that the, the windscreen or windshield to American listeners it is essentially a big, fat, widescreen display. So yeah. it's, it's almost ridiculous that that is not in some way being... Uh, retrofitted to be a, a cinema screen. Well, Ford's going to release uh, a range of models with this feature built in from 2018. It will come to a number of countries in Europe, including the UK first. So this is this is exciting, although we don't know the exact models yet uh, as they haven't been announced. Well, another story that came out of Mobile World Congress this week, not to do with gadgets, was the fact that at least one very senior telecoms boss doesn't believe that mobile phone roaming charges will go up for Britons after we leave the European Union. Which is, I'm going to file this under positive Brexit stories. Which, well, uh, no, uh, right, you, you file it there, and I'll we'll come to it in a minute. <laughs> OK, well, Vittorio colao I have probably pronounced that wrong, my, my apologies, uh, but he's the chief executive officer of Vodafone. And he has said that it's not very logical to uh, uh, sort of assume that the that telcos will reintroduce high prices for, for UK citizens traveling abroad. He was speaking at Mobile World Congress and said, quote, we treat Switzerland, which is not part of the EU, as part of it. So why would we not treat the UK that way?
2: Uh, well, I mean that is a slightly different argument, isn't it? Because the Switzerland may not be in the EU, but it does have a very, very close tie with the
0: EU. It's true, but I, I think it's quite likely that the UK will have a quite close tie to the EU. Well, to begin it depends, with.
2: doesn't it? Yeah. Well I mean to begin with for sure.
0: But But yeah, it makes anyway. sense in a way because regardless, this isn't just about people in the UK having cheaper data or, or lack of roaming charges abroad. It is also about EU citizens who do still come to the UK. And I do believe that that will still happen.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah, you know, expecting tourism to come to a crashing halt. Exactly.
0: The European networks will still want that. So it is in nobody's interest to introduce higher bills for either of those two regions, the UK and the, and the EU, that is. And separately the one thing that could still be uh, affected by this is, is the cost of you know, the prices themselves for Britons. But that's a separate issue. So I actually think that this is the right assumption to make. And the other slight aside from this is that without delving too much into political anal- analysis and regulation, the only way that we're probably going to sew up some of the laws and deals that we need to sew up in order to leave the EU on time um, is going to be to adopt many of the the easiest least controversial ones kind of almost verbatim as to what they are now so it stands to reason yes. that it makes sense to adopt this um this agreement uh, because there isn't really anybody who wouldn't benefit plus mps have to travel to europe and so they have a very personal reason to want this as well the issue I have with this is that he, he sort of he sort of
2: sees it like... Well, he's suggesting that there's no reason for the prices to go up. But, of course, as a business, there are plenty of reasons to put the prices up. Like, it, it is he doesn't think it would be in anyone's interest, but I, it would surely be in Vodafone's interest to uh, be able to make money from people roaming again, which obviously, at the moment, it doesn't do.
0: Um, well, the, the challenge is, bear in mind, the challenge here is that Vodafone operates networks across the continent and the UK, and they are... They do bill each other, but yeah. So it might be that in Vodafone's case, that's
2: true. It might not be so much of a stretch to assume that uh, you know other networks who aren't tied, like three. Um, you know, uh, I, O2 is obviously because of Telefonica. Um, what three, about, yeah. three
0: is owned by Hutchinson.
2: Yeah, but they don't. They're not a big European player, are they? Um, they are in the, in Asia. Like they are, uh,
0: and they, I mean, they are. They are still pretty big in Europe, but yeah, it's not not to the likes of Vodafone or, or Telefonica, certainly. No,
2: no, exactly. But anyway, um, what I was drawn to at the bottom of this was uh, the Ofcom uh, chief executive, Sharon White, who said, um, progress of this kind is re- must be reflected in agreements between the UK and its member states, uh, and the member states, sorry. Uh, otherwise, our mobile operators may be exposed to unfair costs, and our people and businesses could end up paying more than our European neighbours. Well, that reads to me like yes but that's what brexit is like that you know the the idea that we're going to be exposed to extra costs is a reality of that whole situation you know we are we may not have uh we may have to have tariffs on exporting and importing so that is just another part of that massively complicated situation
0: but i still think that it is in so much interest of everybody it to is. have this remain the same that there are like there there are far more already examples of brexit hitting consumers in the pocket yeah. just with consumer tech price rises and bovril gate and, and everything else um and but uh yeah i am I'm, I'm quite confident you're right for a start it will
2: be put into uk law whether whether anyone likes it or not because that's just the way the whole system's going to work and it will take them a long time to get to it to repeal it um What I would say is that you never know what companies like Vodafone are going to end up balloting the government to do. If they can see a way to make money out of it, then they'll ballot the government to change the law, won't they?
0: When Apple announced its updated MacBook Pro's eyebrows across the world rose a little. It was undeniably a nice product to look at and powerful, but some features were head scratches. There are no standard USB ports, just four USB-C connectors on the 15-inch model. There was the introduction of an OLED touch bar, a touch-sensitive strip that runs along the top of the keyboard where the traditional function keys, F1, F2, and so forth, used to be. Apple said this bar could be customized for any open application to make certain tasks faster, such as choosing words from a predictive text engine, scrolling through or selecting open tabs in a web browser, or adjusting the levels of something like brightness or contrast in a photo editor. Many people questioned how much use that touch bar would actually be. There was also the loss of an integrated SD card reader and the removal of the MagSafe power connector, an innovation that many people liked as it meant you could trip over the power lead of the laptop and it would safely pop away from the computer. Now, as power is delivered over USB-C, tripping over the cables risks ripping the laptop to the floor with you. And then there was the price. These machines are not cheap. I've been testing a 15-inch review model loaned by Apple for a few weeks now, and the specs inside include a 2.6GHz Intel Core i7 CPU, 16GB of fast DDR3 RAM, an AMD Radeon Pro 450 discrete graphics chip with 2GB of its own video memory, 256 gigs of internal flash storage, and a high-res 2880 by 1800 Retina display. At retail, this model would cost £2,349 without increasing the specification to include, say, more RAM or storage. Now, I've got to return this review unit to Apple next week and wanted to summarise what I learnt from my time with it. But I also had an interesting experience when someone asked me my opinion of the machine. A friend of mine, Naomi, asked me whether she should buy one. She loved the look, she didn't mind the price, and was definitely in the market for this sort of computer, she felt. I also was in the market for a new machine, but to spoil the ending here a bit, I decided to wait and not buy this current model. As Naomi was not a power user, she wouldn't be using the machine largely at a workstation to edit video or high-end computer graphics, I felt it would be the wrong choice for her too. Cheaper Macs offer equally good results for less money. For her, I thought. So, this was an opportunity to really look at how these new machines might suit some people more than others. Naomi was using a 10 year old polycarbonate MacBook from about 2006 and told me that
1: it was fine, it was slow. And it was slower than I was used to, say, using uh, Google Chrome or whatever at work. But it functioned and it did what I needed it to.
0: I asked her what she was using it for and she said...
1: Its primary day job was, at the time, I was doing quite a bit of blogging, so a bit of writing, emailing, internet, and then... When I was starting to think about developing a podcast, I was using it for GarageBand.
0: So right now, I thought, not a huge need for a high-end, brand-new MacBook. She could actually get a great PC for very little money that cost a load less, and over a 10-year-old Mac would give performance that was through the roof in comparison to what she was currently used to. So let's talk about performance. In my testing, I found the new MacBook Pro is ridiculous. Ridiculously quick in benchmarks. It annihilated even my 2014 15 inch MacBook Pro huge improvements And that model also used a quad-core Intel core i7 processor and also had 16 gig of RAM Just older generations of processor and slightly slower RAM Enormous performance boosts were gained over that three-year period and of particular note to me the flash storage this machine reads and writes data so quickly to and from its hard disk, my benchmarking tool didn't even have numbers that went up high enough to measure the top speeds. It was literally off the charts. But I didn't need that, and Naomi didn't need that, and I told her. So I asked her why she was considering one.
1: I mean, I have to say I was I mean, I was just sunk hook, line and sinker by the look of it. As soon as I walked into the new store in uh, on Regent Street and um this very nice guy Valentine, you know got chatting to me about all First the uh, yeah of course well you know they've got it on their badge haven't they so you know immediately I was um sucker punched if that's the word and uh I just thought it was it was very light which of course I wasn't used to anything so light and I did love the touch bar it was very sexy
0: Fair enough, it is gorgeous, and the touch bar is certainly an interesting feature. I asked Naomi if she remembered what I told her the first time she said she was wowed by the design.
1: You said there's no need to buy that, Naomi.
0: <laughs> Which one did I advise you buy?
1: You advised me to buy the the previous model.
0: That was still on sale.
1: That was still on sale. And you advised me to get the 256 gigabit version. Mm-hmm. Um... I said
0: spec it up up and it'll cost the same as the new one. And it did.
1: I mean, it was like 20 quid difference. Yeah.
0: And I suggested that because the previous version, I felt, was still an incredible machine. We're always tempted to buy the very latest and greatest products, but because these computers are always at the top end of their categories when they're released, and the same is true for current iPhones and top-end Android phones and PCs... A year-old product for some people still remains an amazing choice, particular for consumers spending their own cash. It's often easy to forget that. And which one did you buy?
1: I bought the, uh, the, the Super Duper version, the 13-inch MacBook Pro Touch Bar.
0: The the, the the one that I said, yeah, you don't need that. You bought it anyway.
1: I bought it anyway, and I bought it. The other thing you told me was we're going from the USB, USB-C to Thunderbolt.
0: Uh, You've gone from basically all other connections to just USB-C.
1: USB-C, right. And so you said, don't do it because everywhere you go, you're going to need a converter. Mm. And I still ignored you.
0: Ah, well, it's good to take advice, but still follow your heart but it gave me an interesting opportunity to find out how others who have bought the product feel about what's been taken away as well as what's been added. Personally, I've benefited from the speed of the system and must mention the massive new touchpad which really does make a significant difference to the comfort levels of using a touchpad versus a mouse. Your finger never seems to meet the edge of the touchpad. But I've also not found a compelling use for the touch bar yet. I'm so addicted to my keyboard shortcuts in video and audio editors like Final Cut and Logic that muscle memory, even after Several weeks still hadn't kicked in to move me over to the touch bar for most features. With one exception though, choosing the response to dialog boxes when saving files. Sometimes an app will ask you to save before closing, or quit without saving, or similar choices, and normally that means moving the hand to the trackpad or mouse and navigating to the button of choice, but this felt more intuitive to use with the touch bar and faster. The touch bar can show any text or small icons or images that an application wants it to show. So no matter what the dialog box's options are, the touch bar can technically accommodate them. I liked that, but I wouldn't buy the product for it.
1: If it's not that much quicker, then I'm going to kick myself.
0: And that's definitely my experience too. So what about the USB connectivity and the loss of all but USB-C ports? This is something that other manufacturers of PCs could follow. I bought two USB-C adapters to go with my review unit machine, and it would allow me to plug in the microphone, say, for podcasting, and then I had another one to plug into a USB hub to connect three normal USB cables via a single USB-C cable. The machine largely remains in my home studio, and so for me, this felt fine. If I'd have spent over two grand on this Mac, a few quid on these adapters is no big deal. It only feels like it would be a bigger deal if I was moving the machine around a lot and I got to the inevitable moment Whereas in an airport waiting lounge, for example, and I'd forgotten the adapter and therefore had no way of connecting whatever device I needed to connect at that point.
1: We bought a an adapter straight away. So we bought an adapter. Just I one. say we, my husband came along to the Mac store and was also wired by it. Um, yeah, I've only bought one. For you, just so a USB, far, regular USB? For a hard drive. Right. So, and that's so that I can uh, back up the hard drive to Time Machine as well. Uh, I mean, I I didn't really think that I necessarily needed a hard drive as well as the 250, 256 gigabytes, but I'm advised by others that I do need that. So, that's what we've done. Where it's going to get interesting is when I do start podcasting and recording regularly. So, what do I do with my, um, my mic? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm trying to think what other things, and then I'll also want to have probably my hard drive potentially plugged in so I can save directly to that. So already that's two that I'm definitely going to need.
0: Which was my experience too, but I don't believe it's a deal breaker. The USB-C issue is not a reason not to buy a powerful machine like this or even a similar Windows machine in future that also only features USB-C cables exclusively. So this all left me with an interesting set of experiences. On the one hand, I was in the market for a new professional laptop, and despite having a three-year-old machine and the money ready to throw down, I decided not to buy this model. I thought I'll wait one more year. The power of the processor and internal disk, the significantly improved graphics performance of the AMD CPU, the large trackpad, they're compelling, but just aren't quite crucial enough to me to make the difference over my three-year-old high-end MacBook Pro. However, the lack of uses for the touch bar, the loss of regular USB, and the loss of the MagSafe power connector, they weren't negative points for me. The touch bar will get more useful in time, I believe, and I didn't find the need for dongles and USB adapters to be a problem. And yet for Naomi, who is in a similar position to me in terms of what she needs the machine for, was given advice based on my testing and went against it, and she was happy. She didn't feel the exclusive use of USB-C was a problem either for her, nor has she found a good use for the touch bar. But she loved the design and performance, and the price wasn't an issue. This led me to the conclusion that these machines are at the top of their game and thus are arguably the desktop Mac Pro that the Mac Pro itself currently feels like it's struggling to be, so long has it been since it was updated. It's brilliant for workstation-type use and in situations where price is no drawback. Similarly, for people with much older machines, the obvious jump into the present iteration of design, weight, screen quality, touchpad size, performance, and future-proofing makes it a great choice too, if you can afford it. But for people somewhere in the middle, maybe with a three or four year old machine like mine, I'd still consider waiting maybe one more year before throwing down the cash or consider last year's model, which remains on sale and is still a tremendous machine. Well, if you like Google and you like products that had the word home in the title, then good news, because Google Home <laughs> might be coming to the UK this year, which is maybe obvious. Uh, but we now know that it's actually going to happen because a Google spokesperson confirmed to Engadget this week that the product, uh, which is a the Amazon Echo-like hub, will make its journey to British shores in the second quarter of that of this year, so sometime between the spring and the summer. Now the Echo, the Amazon Echo, has been on sale in Britain since September of last year and has already gained support from a variety of local apps and services, such as The Guardian, Tube Status, Launder App, Uber, the Lottery uh, and I and I noticed this morning a, a few when I was researching this because we do have an Echo at home uh, a really great service called Dog Facts and Cat Facts no idea whether the Google Home uh, will offer that sort of a feature but skills do include uh, a lot that are similar to to the Echo like alarms and searching for local businesses streaming music from Google Play and YouTube and anything that you're basically using the Google Assistant for now the the challenges and and gadget posits this as well is that when google home comes to the to the u k it 's going to be quite far behind Amazon and its ability to have already tied into a lot of local services and we we mentioned a few there, but you know the BBC is on there, and things like radio player for streaming um you know u k radio like they're all features that Maybe Google's got these cooking ready for ready for launch, but Amazon's already sort of got quite a good foothold. I think they're doing they're doing a really good job at marketing that thing over here. And certainly, I have to say, I've been enjoying using ours a lot. I, I yeah, use it. Good, I, I yeah. use it. I use it more every week. The most frequent use I have for it is setting timers when I'm cooking fish, uh, or right. indeed cooking anything actually, and uh, and so forth. But certainly, it's uh, it's. Do it's you a useful... use it
2: for your commute? Because I really like that National Rail app.
0: No, because I get the same train every day.
2: Yeah, but it tells you whether there's a delay. I can
0: check that when I'm walking, though.
2: Well, right, but if if you're good, if you're about to leave the house, you just say to the the thing, well, I won't name it. Um, you know, it asks National Rail, it you know what what my commute is like, and it will tell you if there's a delay. You can do that while you're brewing your coffee.
0: I don't drink coffee at home.
2: Oh, for the luck. Lo- okay, fine. Don't do it then. Suit yourself, listener please feel free to take my advice with your uh, national rail app.
0: I would be more excited if Google Wi-Fi was coming to the UK anytime soon because that's the product that I'm really quite excited about. And I, as a side note, we did have an email uh, from one of our listeners or a tweet possibly who bought an Airport Express on our recommendation on last week's show. And I'm very pleased uh, to see that, that they were pleased. And, uh, you know, I hope that that continues to be a, uh, a satisfying purchase. You're very, you're, you're very welcome. Liam, I believe that was. Well, new drivers caught using a phone, that is drivers within two years of having passed their test, will have their driving license revoked under new rules for England, Scotland and Wales. This, according to the BBC, penalties for using a phone at the wheel will double from the 1st of March to six points up from three, knowing that. 12 and you lose your license uh, and a 200 pound fine new drivers who get six points or more must retake their practical and theory tests more experienced drivers can be banned if they get 12 points in three years uh, and in 2015 according to some figures that the bbc published uh, 22 people were killed and 99 seriously injured in accidents where a driver was using their phone I mean, this, that
2: alone is a substantial percentage of the people who are killed in road accidents each year or injured. Um, <clears throat> you know, it, it, that is an easy way to get those numbers down. I, I still see it all the time. People on phones when they're driving. And I think the problem is that there are, just aren't any, there's not really any way to catch them. Like you have to be pretty unlucky uh, to be seen by a police driver and for them not to be busy on a, not more, on a more important matter to pull you over. So um, it's just fine and I completely agree with the sentiment, but it's about policing it, which is really hard to do.
0: Yeah, and the BBC had published a little Q&A about some of the things that constitute phone use that I thought uh, we could that I thought we could go to because some of these to me seem obvious, but my assumption yeah. is that it's not that obvious to everybody. So one of the questions was, can I check social media or texts if I'm queuing <laughs> in traffic or stopped at traffic lights? The answer no. is no, yes. Uh, it says a handheld phone cannot be used even if stopping at lights. Texting and scrolling social media even if the phone is mounted on a hands-free holder is distracting and dangerous.
2: Yeah, um, the problem is of course that sometimes when you're stopped at the traffic light, if you I mean say you've got a Spotify playlist on and you um and you want to switch the playlist or something, the, the temptation is that while you're in a queue at a red light, there's not really any harm in changing it. Um but I think if you've if you've got your phone mounted on a mount on a dashboard, I think you should be okay doing that. But obviously texting and social media is just a big no no anyway. It's just stupid.
0: Can I use my phone's sat nav? Yes, is the answer, as long as it's mounted in a hands-free yeah. holder. But if you're holding it in your hand and using it as a sound <laughs> that is illegal. Uh, another question. Can I use my phone to listen to music, play podcasts, or watch video clips? And the answer here is you can't watch video clips, not even if your <laughs> phone is mounted in a hands-free <laughs> holder. Fair enough. But again... You're that... right. I,
2: do. I thought people would be aware of that, but...
0: Apparently not. But again, something that the the move towards or the drive towards... Autonomous vehicles will, will undoubtedly uh, force some discussion in the the, the commons well, to change that law, possibly.
2: Yeah, this is, this is the whole thing, isn't it? it? That's the transition between a car which self-drives casually and a car which actually takes responsibility for driving.
0: Yeah. Uh, it says that you can't watch video clips, not even if your phone is mounted, but you can use your phone to listen to music and podcasts if it's in a hands-free holder or connected by Bluetooth uh there's a question here can i pull over to check my phone yes as long as the you're parked safely and the engine's off that's fine uh what counts as hands-free a dashboard holder or cradle earphones or bluetooth connection now i find the inclusion of earphones an interesting one because to me and i'm not a driver it should be pointed out having earphones in is surely no safer than um I, I, it sounds unsafe to me. I mean, yeah, you, it, you rely on your ears in a car to to it's hear. A really bad idea for engines. You know, that's it's
2: it's okay. It's okay if maybe you've got one in, but I wouldn't recommend it. I, I feel like you're better off. Uh, you know, you need to be able to hear horns, and the highway code is quite specific about that. So, but of course, you can be deaf and drive. So, you know, I, it, it's obviously that those people manage. I guess you just have to be much more vigilant if you're hard of hearing and you're driving.
0: Yeah. The one exception, apparently, is that you can call 999, which is the British version of 911, to, again, to American listeners, uh, if it's unsafe or impractical to stop driving. Yeah. Um, the The advice... If you So
2: if you think that you're going to be pulled, if someone's driving behind you and they seem to have a police car and they're going to pull you over, but something's not right, you are, a, you know, that, that's a good example of when you might need to call the police uh, and just say, look, I'm, I'm driving, I, I can't, you know, I can't pull over because I think this person might be about to attack me or whatever. And then they will be able to tell you if you're being followed by a legit police officer. Um, so uh, that's one example of when you possibly could get away with it. I wouldn't, still wouldn't have said it was a great idea. But
0: mm. well, let us know any thoughts you have. Podcast at nate.langson dot com or tweeters at text message pod. One email we had this week uh, came from Stephen. Uh, who wrote in just before we started recording the show, in fact, to say with all the chat about the 3310, the old Nokia relaunch for anyone who managed to miss that news, uh, and your favorite Gemini palm top, I was wondering if you'd seen the free FreeWrite and how similar it is to the old Tandy word processors. When I was at primary school in the late 80s, I used one of the Tandy word processors to do my schoolwork. Having dyslexia uh, made my work a lot easier. Um, now, the free writer, I looked this up and the story was published on Wired.com this week. And indeed, it does look an enormous, it bears an enormous similarity to the old the old Tandies, if anyone's ever seen them. Sort of very big mechanical keys, a very small, well, relatively small display, uh, but very simple controls. It's, um, I think this one is being launched off the back of a Kickstarter campaign. And it's actually not the first that I've seen like this. There was another one called the Quirky Writer, which was spelled Quirky q w e r t y writer or one word which i bought kate as a christmas present which was also launched on kickstarter that had a full um legitimate metal um typewriter keyboard that had bluetooth Ooh. built in so you could dock an ipad or a tablet or in fact any device capable of connecting to bluetooth and and essentially type like you're using a typewriter and it is absolutely beautiful it cost a fortune thanks to the <laughs> dollar conversion and then when i got slammed with the import duty it, it cost well not say because kate listens to the show but let's just say a lot of money uh, but definitely worth it I, I absolutely love it and it sounds beautiful when you hear kate sort of clacking away writing her novels um, and is that what she she actually uses
2: that to write the novels does yeah she? yeah that's pretty cool
0: yeah she absolutely does it was it was great so there's a number of these things and i'm glad uh, stephen pointed this one out because again we, we seem to be in this real for, as far as tech goes this this bubble of, of nostalgia, you know, oh, with the 3310, God. the Gemini, now the free rights, the quirky writer. like, there are loads of this. And it does make me want to put to the audience, what have you seen being rebirthed um, this month or this year so far in tech, that is, I don't want anything disgusting. Um, there was an interesting feature that I read this week about the future of cloning, uh, which was uh, both fascinating and disturbing. Uh, nothing that involves birth canals, please. But if you do see any rebirths of tech, we'd love to hear about them. Podcast at nateslangson.com. Well, before we end the show, let's check in with Tom Merritt on Daily Tech News Show and see what's been going on in the global scheme of technology this week. Hey, thanks, Nate. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we gave our grades to the Mobile World Congress. It passed, barely. Learned how venture capitalists make their decisions. Got the scoop on home networking, including whether you need one of those fancy and expensive mesh networks. Short answer is, only if you have a big place. Figured out why the game Overwatch has been so successful. Gave our first impressions of the Nintendo Switch. And learned why in Thailand and all over Southeast Asia, they use chat to buy things online. All that and even more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Back to you guys well thank you again to our patrons supporting us at patreon.com slash uk tech don't forget we have a new one dollar tier for those of you who just want to support us uh with no uh, wish for any of our extra content like our extended episodes or columns uh we'd love to get some more of you joining us in the patreon uh club if you like and uh, and help us see what else we can do uh, with the show this year and thank you to everyone supporting us there already ian it's been a pleasure once again, to be in your presence for the last half hour or so. Even though it's early in the morning. Even though it's early in the morning. It is one of the earliest we've ever recorded, so thanks. Uh, well, I, we did do it at eight o'clock once, didn't we? It wouldn't surprise me if we did it at eight o'clock once. <laughs> and we'll see all of you next week. And you can say goodbye if you like. Oh, uh,
2: bye!